And a pleasant good afternoon to you, Jaden Daly, back with you on the Daily Dose of Hoops podcast in full swing as conference tournament action heats up and we get closer to Selection Sunday. One conference that the site used to spend a lot of time on before we unfortunately grew a little too big for it in recent years, but we still try to get back to. That's the Northeast Conference. Some great basketball comes out of the NEC every year. And to shed some further light on the four-team tournament this year due to COVID, the NEC downsized the field from eight to four this season. It's a one-shot deal. We'll get the full eight next season, God willing, assuming that we're all back to normal. And helping us to take a closer look here is a man of many talents, a lot of on-air work over at Sacred Heart, the editor-in-chief of the school newspaper up in Fairfield. That's called The Spectrum. He also writes for our sister site, College Hoops Digest. He's got more work on his resume at 21 years old than I ever did, and that's Dan Gardella. Dan, thank you so much for coming on and spending some time with us today. Jaden, I appreciate you having me on, man. This I, I thought you'd never ask to get my expertise on this, but here we are. I, I had to get you on at some point, Dan, and I couldn't do it during the Big East season, so I figured what better way than to take a look at the NEC, and we have a four-team field, but it's four worthy teams. Wagner, the regular season champion, in this site's own backyard, beautiful Staten Island, Bryant University, the number two seed under Jared Grasso. And we'll get into the recent health issues that the Bulldogs have had having to go on a slight pause to end their regular season after a positive COVID test. Sacred Heart, the number three seed, your alma mater, after being picked near the bottom of the conference, the work that Anthony Latina has done seems to be going underappreciated. And I'll let you get into that a little bit, too. And Mount St. Mary's. Mount St. Mary's seems to be there pretty much every chance you'd get with the Mountaineers. And Dan Engelstad has this group in the tournament as the number four seed. They'll take on Wagner Saturday afternoon, March 6th, three days, two days away from the time of recording, March 4th right now. And then Bryant and Sacred Heart in the 12 noon matinee Saturday afternoon. Dan, before we look at each team a little closer and a little more in depth, just overall, can you give me your impressions on this four-team field and how each of these groups got there, what we can expect from each one? Yeah, well, I mean, like you said, you, you nailed it. All four of these teams are very deserving. Any team in mid-major play especially that has the opportunity to cut down nets, regardless of how big the field is, it's that's an accomplishment on its own. And, I mean, when you go back to the preseason poll of the Northeast Conference, I mean, you had Mount St. Mary's and Bryant tied for third by the coaches, but then you had Wagner picked eighth and Sacred Heart picked tenth. And it's not so much that teams at the top disappointed or played below their expectations, but, and this is an argument I've gone across on Twitter for probably about the past two weeks now, the depth of coaching in the conference, and you know this as well as I do, is so deep and it just shows every year when you look at the preseason poll compared to how the standings actually turn out come March, it's just a completely different thing. And especially this year, and, and you know, like you said, I'll get into it more. I mean, Sacred Heart got absolutely raided with transfers last year. And coming into this year, they were probably some of the lowest expectations they've had in recent years. And they still somehow find a way to climb into a playoff picture, not even a top eight, as you mentioned, but top four says something even more about what Anthony Latina does. But Wagner being able to really get hot in the beginning of conference play and ride it to a regular season title, 
Bryant fighting through a couple pauses and Jared Grasso finally getting the recognition he deserves. And then Mount St. Mary's, a team that Sacred Heart faced last year in the quarterfinals and had a tough game. They nearly pulled off the upset in Fairfield, but behind Damian Chongqui, I mean, they are a team that, as the four seed, I would not be surprised one bit if they're cutting down the nets. Wagner again, winners of 12 out of 13 to conclude the regular season. And you look at the job that Bashir Mason has done, Dan, at 37 years old, a veteran despite his tender age, nine years in Staten Island. And you look at the roster that he has, Alex Morales could be the player of the year. Elijah Ford has done some great work as well. This team is night and day from when I got to see them earlier in the year against Seton Hall. What's changed, Dan, that hasn't been there since November and December? I think collectively just the way that they've been able to play together for sure is one of them. And then you even add in, you know, you add in Elijah Ford and, and Alex Morales who are going to be worthy of some hardware when they when those do come out. But even Delani Hunt, I mean, he's a front runner for the conference's rookie of the year as well. Been playing a really nice complimentary piece to those two that I previously just mentioned. But yeah, I mean, they just found a way to to click right at the right time. And that's something that's hard. And we've seen that across all of college basketball this year that to get in a rhythm, get in a consistent rhythm, especially with COVID pauses and, and teams having to cancel and all the craziness that's gone on this year. They found a way to string wins together and find ways not to just split games, but to find ways to sweep and win. And they take care of business on their home court, most importantly. And the conference runs through the conference tournament, I should say, runs through Staten Island. So to be able to take care of business on your home floor in the regular season certainly bolts well for you, especially in a mid-major conference if the tournament goes through Staten Island. Talking to Dan Gardell of College Hoops Digest, Sacred Heart Athletics, the Spectrum, the editor-in-chief up there in Fairfield. And we look at Bryant, the number two seed, and we had Jared Grasso on the podcast a few weeks ago when his Bulldogs were still leading the Northeast Conference. And now coming in off a COVID pause, possibly going to be shorthanded from what the reports have told us, but one thing that Jared Grasso's teams have done is compete regardless of who the opponent is. Almost beat Syracuse on opening night. It's Carrier Dome. Really parlayed that into a strong start in NEC play. Peter Kiss has done well. Mike Green has done well. So, too, as Chris Childs, Charles Pride, Hall Elijah is one of the better interior defensive players on this group. The depth is there. The up-tempo attack is there. But my concern, Dan, and I'm sure you have the same how does this Bulldogs team come back off the COVID pause and against Sacred Heart? And we'll, we'll lead into the Pioneers a little more after we get done with Bryant. How much is that going to be exploited Saturday afternoon? I think it's going to be a major factor because not only do we not know who's going to be available, but then you also have to take into account. Yes, it's been a week since they played, and that's how most of the teams have been playing. I mean, Sacred Heart that we'll get into, hasn't played since last weekend as well. So the time between games is the same, but Sacred Hearts had a full week to practice. They haven't been on pause. They haven't had to jump through the hoops of, okay, who's available, who's not available, who do we have to quarantine? What's the game plan going to be with the personnel that we have? That's one thing that we may see in the game, lack of personnel, kind of having to throw guys in positions that they haven't been thrown in all season. That being said, Jared Grasso has reached that point in his coaching career at, at Bryant, that it, that doesn't matter. As you just said, he will take whatever he has, and he's going to make the most of it. We saw that from his first year there where they're coming off of, I think it was, you can correct me if I'm wrong, a 3-26 and year 
the, the personnel there wasn't great, and he still found a way to turn it into not necessarily an immediate playoff team, an immediate contender, but gave Bryant fans hope that, okay, with a couple more years, we can really be something special. And we saw it this year, having a great record, by far the best record in the conference, both taking into account non-conference play and conference play. But yeah, having this shutdown at this point in time could really be that, you know, life isn't fair kind of thing. The world plays tricks on you where they had everything lined up perfectly to make it back to the NCAA tournament. But this COVID thing may be a really tough hill to overclimb. And Brian takes on a Sacred Heart team that, as you mentioned in your introduction, Dan, picked last of 10 in the NEC, absolutely gutted by the transfer portal in the offseason. E.J. Anasicki goes to Tennessee. Kareem Ozier goes to Louisiana Monroe. Pretty sure the Pioneers lost somebody else whose name escapes me, and you can definitely fill me in there. But either way, oh, Cameron Parker, who I believe went to, is it Montana? Cameron Parker to Montana, the point guard who set the single game division one record for assists in a game last season. And you look at what Anthony Latina has done since then. Is it me, Dan, or is he just not getting the love and respect that he deserves here in the race for NEC coach of the year? Mason's getting some credit and deservedly so Grasso as well. But what is it about Anthony Latina and, what he's done this season for a team that was picked as a rebuilding retooling unit now stands two wins away from its first NCAA tournament at division one level. What's been going unnoticed and underappreciated up there in the nutmeg state. Well, the biggest thing, and I'm glad you, you phrased it this particular way. It's not so much that I, that he is, he should be the front runner for coach of the year, because as I said, a couple minutes ago, this league is stacked with really great coaches, even coaches that aren't, going to get talked about because they didn't make the playoffs. I mean, you know, we talk about St. Francis, Brooklyn, LIU, Derek Kellogg did a, a pretty solid job. And then you have the guys that are going to get talked about. Bashir Mason, Anthony Latina is going to be in that conversation as well. Joe Gallo from Merrimack. So it's not so much that he deserves to be that front runner, but the way that I've looked at it, and I have been very forward in saying that this is coming from a biased perspective because I, yes, I do go to the school. I cover them. I've seen them more than anybody else has. What Anthony Latina has been able to do two of the past three seasons was essentially take a team that coming into 2018-2019 that their most experienced player was Sean Hohen, who had averaged about 11 points a game his junior year the year before. Other than that, there were no solidified factors. EJ Anasicki didn't play a lot. They bring in nine newcomers. They end up getting picked ninth. They finish third. They make the NEC tournament and exceed expectations. Last year, as we both know, they kind of put everything together, have the best season in their Division One program history now after that they lose all these players all league guys they lose all five of their starters three to transfer two to graduation they lose a couple really key bench guys that would have had a significant fingerprint on this season and it's the same story they bring in eight freshmen nine newcomers and now they're picked at the bottom and you know you, you take a look at some of the other teams that have had to retool I just didn't think that Sacred Heart would be the worst team in this conference and I could see where they picked them, the reason why, the lack of experience. The players that were coming back, Aaron Clark was one of the better players in the conference at the end of 2020. Zach Pfaffenberger was a key forward off the bench, but he even ruptures his Achilles. He's out for the entire season. So now that's even fewer returning guys that can really lead this young team. And what does he do? 
he finds a way once again to make the playoffs. And as I said, a a slimmer playoff. This isn't an eight-team race. This was a four-team race with teams like LIU who are experienced. Merrimack coming off of a title makes things difficult for other teams even though they're not eligible. If you take maybe about most of the coaches in this conference and you give them the luck that Anthony Latina has had the past three seasons, they will not do as good a job. It's just plain and simple. That's my opinion on it. Obviously, there's other conversations to it. But to be able to essentially bring in 16 newcomers in a three-year period and not finish lower than third place in the conference in those three seasons says a lot about, A, the recruiter he is and the talent that he can find, but also when the season's going on, how he can get them to play at the right time. And in this case, you had to play well from game one to the end of the season because there were no days off. There were no, okay, we can slip and finish sixth compared to third. No, you have a bad weekend. You miss the playoffs in this situation. And they found a way all the way down to the last game of the season. They split against FDU, but they needed to win the last game of the season to make the playoffs. And they found a way to do it with freshmen, Aaron Clark, who probably won't be on any of the teams, maybe slip in as a third team or second team member. Tyler Thomas, who will be in consideration for most improved player. And that was it. That's all we really knew about this team coming in. And they just exceeded expectations. So to kind of answer your question in a long-winded form, I think Anthony Latina should be the front runner, not because of where they finished this year or the record, but you have to take into account where he was picked, the expectations that he had and how low they were, and what he was able to do with the talent that he brought in. Talking to Dan Gardell, a college troops digest, Sacred Heart, the Spectrum up in Fairfield, Connecticut. And nobody could have made a better case for Anthony Latina than you just did. The work that he's done with that roster, picked last of 10 in the NEC, and now two wins away from the NCAA tournament. It just speaks for itself. And then the one team we haven't gotten to that rounds out the four-team field is Mount St. Mary's. Damian Sean Quee. Just like every other lead guard that the Mountaineers have had in the last decade, going back to Julian Norfleet, Junior Robinson, seems like he's been there 15 years. And here he is. He's only a junior, and he has a knack for hitting clutch shots. He did it against St. Francis University not too long ago. But besides Sean Quee, what does Dan Engelstad bring to the the table that could bring March Madness back to Emmitsburg for the third time in eight years? One word for you, Jaden, and that is defense. You know, when you have a solid guard tandem, and I mean, you think of it, they lose Votto Morris in the offseason, and in a way, people could argue that that was addition by subtraction for this team, giving the ball, putting the ball in Chonqui's hands a little bit more. But the wings that they have, freshman Josh Reeves is going to make the all-rookie team, I think, in my opinion. But when you have a forward like Nana Apoku, who is probably going to be the most or the, the, the defensive player, the top defensive player in the conference when the awards come out, they can find ways to win without putting the ball in the basket consistently. And we've seen that so far this year. I even look back to when the Mount played Sacred Heart in one of their games. They locked down Sacred Heart so much to the point where Mount was struggling. They had gone cold. They had some droughts in that game, and they still found a way to win that game handily simply because of the defense that they bring. If you go to a team like Wagner in Staten Island where – They can get really, really hot and make everything and look really great, or they can have those really long droughts and cold streaks. And if you're going up against a team like Mount St. Mary's, who is accustomed to being able to dig your heels in, do the dirty work, get stops consistently, 
And then you get, as you said, the hot streak of Chung Kui, who had a pair of 30-point games at a really crucial time in the season for them. They can find a way to pull off that upset. I mean, we even saw it last year when they played Sacred Heart. Sacred Heart was one of the most experienced teams in the conference last year. They're playing on their home court, which they were very good at last season. And the Mount held Sacred Heart to 61 points. In most college basketball games now in this day and age, 61 points allowed wins you basketball games. It just so happened that they were on the wrong end of a bad bounce at the end of the game, and Sacred Heart ended up winning with around two seconds left in the game. This is a similar team to last year, still has the star power that they need to win the game, and the defense, I think, is what's going to be the biggest key for them. If they can keep Wagner in check, I would not be surprised one bit if they win back-to-back games and punch their ticket to the big dance. Dan Gardella, the NEC expert for College Hoops Digest, does some on-air work with Sacred Heart, writes about the pioneers for the Spectrum up in Fairfield, Connecticut. Dan, I'm going to put you on the hot seat here, and you look at these two games Saturday afternoon, Brian and Sacred Heart leading things off, and then Wagner and Mount St. Mary's getting underway after that at 2.30. Who wins these games Saturday, and then who plays for the NEC championship, and who do you have cutting down the nets? Well, uh, I mean, accused by you a couple days ago on Twitter, um, based on my Jerome pick, um, I personally think that given the situation that Bryant is in right now, we don't know who's going to be available, but not being able to practice comfortably with what you have a week leading up to the tournament, that's what it's all about right now. It's who's playing the best basketball, and Sacred Heart has that momentum. They're playing well. They're once again kind of this playing with house money. They weren't expected to be here but they fully believe they can win this entire tournament. So I'm going to take the Pioneers to win against Bryant on Saturday. And I really think Mount has what it takes to take down Wagner because, as I said, their defense has really been stepping up well. Damian Chunkwee is one of the best guards in the conference, if not the best guard in the conference. And I really think that we're going to have a bottom two championship game because what that's just it, it's the perfect bow to what has been a crazy season in the Northeast Conference, an unpredictable season in the Northeast Conference. I'm saying we get championship basketball in the Pitt Center in Fairfield on Tuesday when the Pioneers and the Mountaineers meet up again in the NEC tournament for the second straight season, this time with a little bit more on the line. Corey Hassan, where have you been? <laughs> Sacred Heart potentially hosting the Northeast Conference Championship. Dan Gardella will be there to cover it if it does happen. Does a great job with College Hoops Digest, the Spectrum, and all his on-air stuff. Dan, before we let you go, a couple of other things. First off, for some of the bigger conference tournaments and even some of the other mid-majors, who are your teams to watch that some people just following us listening here might be wise to pick in their brackets or if they're in the Jerome and – that's a pretty big following, too. Who could get you bonus points there? I'm going to stick in-state for one of the mid-major selections. And one team that I had seen firsthand last year, obviously not get, didn't get to see this year because their matchup with Sacred Heart got canceled because of COVID complications. But I think Hartford is the sleeper pick to win the America East. They're playing Vermont on Saturday. This is a team that has some well-traveled guys. If you remember even last year, they had a pair of former Big East players one St. John's transfer, Malik Ellison, mm-hmm. traveled St. John's, then Pitt, and then former Marquette guard, then to LaSalle, and now to Hartford, Tracy Carter, who's a sixth year, who is currently really leading this team this season. 
you know, their head coach, John Gallagher, said in their win in the quarterfinal against Albany, they don't win that game without him. I think they are a sleeper team that can possibly dethrone the Cattermouths and then from there, championship game. They were there at this point last season before COVID prevented them from playing that championship game. I think they have it, they have what it takes to get back to that championship game. As for some others, you know, the MAC, and this is dipping into your, your territory, I mean, it's been so crazy and a lot of the scenarios haven't been worked out, but how can you not love Siena and what they've been able to do? I feel like Jalen Pickett has been at Siena for seven years now when in reality he's been in college just as long as I have. I remember watching him when him and Neftali Alvarez way back, I believe in 2018, went up and it was the matchup of the of two MAC rookie guards. Pickett obviously getting the better, but I think Siena has what it takes as well. They have Manny Camper, a couple other crucial guys I think that can step up and 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 take the MAC. Obviously, you can never bet against Iona, but we haven't seen Iona play as much and. Everyone loves to pick, you know, with Rick Pitino back there and, and playing and coaching them and hopefully getting them over all these COVID hurdles to find a way to compete in the MAC tournament. I would love to see a Siena-Iona championship game if the bracket worked out that way because that would be must-see television for mid-major watchers. And it's worth noting that Siena has never beaten Iona in the MAC tournament, 0-10 lifetime, just throwing that stat out there and – those two fan bases have been at each other's throats and I get roped into it all the time on Twitter. So one more for you here, Dan Fordham. Why can't Fordham get guys like that? Who does Eddie Cole turn to in the Rams coaching search? Rosso has been thrown out there. Shaheen Holloway has been thrown out there. We've heard possibly Steve Lavin, possibly maybe Fran Fraschilla, which I think is a pipe dream, but I've been told by some close sources that, there have been informal discussions on both ends. Maybe you get a Kyle Neptune who's been on Jay Wright's staff at Villanova. Dan, who do you think Fordham turns to here to replace Jeff Neubauer? Well, it, it's funny. You know, I, I a couple days ago, I think I had visions of Nick Honor at Clemson dancing around in my head, and I was, you know, I just couldn't – I had to go back to that question. Why can't Fordham get guys like that? But in regards to their coaching staff and what to do next – they have to make a splash, regardless of who it is. They have to find somebody that is just going to do a complete 180 to that program because they have been in just they've, – they've been locked in the cellar of the A-10, and they are nowhere near close to getting out of that position. Personally, I would think Kyle Neptune would be the best option for them because – and we've seen it. You've seen it in the MAC with Baker Dunleavy going – to Quinnipiac, you've seen it with Ashley Howard going to LaSalle. Going from Villanova, a place where we know has such a great culture, to a rebuilding program or a program that is in need of retooling, being able to have a guy that can come in with this attitude that Villanova obviously preaches, but being able to go in and say, all right, we can change this culture. And that is the biggest thing that Fordham needs. Not so much we need to bring in top players in New York. We need to bring in play. You need to change the culture first. And to quote one of one of the best sports movies ever, Field of Dreams, if you build it, they will come. And if you have a good culture, you're going to get recruits. New York basketball can sell itself. What you need is to have a sense and identity of what you want to accomplish and how you're going to get there. And if they can find the right guy, and as I said, I would probably say Neptune would be the best fit for them in terms of fixing the culture. They can do that. Fordham has a chance in the coming years 
to start building their way back up. Dane Dardella covering Sacred Heart for the Spectrum and College Hoops Digest does some on-air work with the Pioneers as well. A well-respected mid-major college basketball voice sharing his thoughts on the NEC tournament, some other mid-major tournaments going on, and where Fordham may turn to. Dan, thank you again for coming on and spending some time with us. I hope this weekend is not as stressful for you as you probably expect it to be. Good luck with the Pioneers, and hopefully you get a piece of March Madness one way or the other. It's going to be stressful regardless of how I look at it, Jaden. But thank you for having me on. It's always always great to, to talk college hoops with you. Stay positive, test negative. Absolutely, my man. Thanks again. No problem.